The title of this message this morning is Accepted or Rejected by God. It's ironic. It's provocative. It's a countercultural message. We live in a culture that if we put the popular thoughts of our day on a scale, they would put more weight on the acceptance of everyone. All views are good, no matter what, as long as they work for you. They feel good to you. We aren't to judge anyone. Everything flies, everything's okay. Well, except for Christianity. But everything else is okay. We've gotten so extreme that we go to children's activities where everyone gets a trophy just for showing up. No one can fail because we worship things like self-esteem over true accomplishment. Everybody gets a sticker. Everybody gets a ribbon. Everyone has a right to a false sense of security in our society. When everybody wins, the reality of it is no one wins. How can you know what good talent is when we fail to recognize the outstanding? What sets the norm apart from the gifted? What we see is an obsession for people to feel good about themselves more than doing what is right for the community. This is a rampant self-obsession in our culture is nothing new it's just pushed on us all the more now it's the agenda of the day when we see life through the lens of everybody wins no matter what it becomes harder for people to understand what reality really is what is the difference between right and wrong what's the difference between good and evil If everyone is right regardless of what belief system they have, if everyone is a winner by current cultural practices, then truth is lost. Reality is ignored. This line of thinking is actually an obsession with a postmodern ideology that says that I want to feel better about self even if it is a false view because feelings trump what is true. What is right? In a sense, that's the mantra of the day, right? In a sense, what is real is what I feel. Or, what I feel is what is real, our society says. Well, the good news, regardless of how saturated and twisted our culture becomes, the gospel, the word of God stands forever. It's eternal, amen? The truth of God's word cuts through the lies of our culture, which tries to turn us away from Christ. But truth be known, we often don't have to look to the society to be deceived because we often are self-absorbed and deceived by our own hearts as well. And still, God's word cuts through the depths of our own wicked hearts and destroys the lies that we follow and refreshes us in the gospel of Jesus Christ which sets us free. The gospel sets us free from the ideologies and lies of our culture. The gospel sets us free from the wickedness of our own hearts. The gospel sets us free from Satan himself. Amen? So let us put off the postmodern mindset that says everything has to be fair. 
and put on the mind of Christ, which says nothing is fair. All is grace when we're in Christ Jesus. Life is not fair. All of us should be lost. But instead, God saves us. It's not fair that God's perfect son had to die for such scoundrels like us. It's not fair that God puts up with people like us. But he does. He has such patience, such grace, such love for us. How blessed we are to be in Christ Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning, we're continuing our series in the Gospel of John, and specifically, we're going to be looking at John 3, 18 through 21. So you can open your Bibles to John 3, 18 through 21. As we begin, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you, we honor you, Father, we give you all the glory, recognizing that we are in a sinful, wicked society, recognizing that often we are following the ways of our hearts, Father, instead of walking by your Spirit and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us to be a people empowered to walk in your word, to walk in your holiness, to walk in love and humility to people who don't know you or understand why we live the way we do. Help us to be people like that at the family church. Help us all across America. Help Christians to live and stand for you in humility for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 18 in John 3 starts by saying, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So we see here in this passage, there's just two categories of people. And the separation has nothing to do with race or ethnicity or the families we've been raised in or the job status that we have or the identity that we are as a male or female. Unlike our culture, God does have standards. God has a plan. He cannot overlook sin. He cannot entertain evil. So there is a real dividing line, a serious distinction. One group is really condemned while the other group is not condemned. In other words, one group is rejected while the other group is accepted by God. All of us have been rejected by someone one time or another, and many of us who are people pleasers or we deal with the fear of man often struggle with such sins because of rejection that we had faced in the past. As an adult, we may feel like we don't measure up or we may think that people are going to find out that we're really not who they think we are, that we're some sort of an imposter. So we keep people at a distance. We keep them at bay because we are fearful that they're going to reject us as well. So we overcompensate for our insecurities. We try to prove ourselves because we ignore the fact that we are enslaved with the fear of being rejected once again. Could have started in our past. 
We may have been picked last in sports and we realized we weren't very good at athletics or we failed a grade so we decided that we weren't very smart or maybe we were called names because of our weight and to this day we still struggle with body image because of what happened in the past. So we see that rejection is painful. It hurts. Rejection is hard to deal with. It takes time to overcome. But in our passages here, we see that many will be rejected by God. Talk about the ultimate blow. The ultimate rejection. Being rejected by the creator of the universe. Verse 18 says again, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So the question is, why does God reject so many people? I mean, we just discussed the pain and suffering that's involved when someone is rejected. And here we see in our passage that God will reject many as well. Verse 18 tells us that God will reject people because they will not believe in Christ. They won't turn to Christ. They won't follow Christ. Instead, they will depend on themselves. They will trust in their own efforts, their own abilities, their own works. The problem is God does not save us because of our success or because of our own merit, or because of our own religious works or deeds. Verse 18 tells us clearly, whoever believes in him, that is Christ, is not condemned. Which leads to point number one. We are accepted when we trust in Christ Jesus. We are accepted when we trust in Christ Jesus. We see it has nothing to do with measuring up or being good enough. It's not about our abilities. It's not about how many good deeds we can accomplish. Nor is it about our status or about our success in this life. So we don't turn to self to find our importance, our assurance. We don't have to think we are special or that we are great to feel good about ourselves. We recognize life isn't about us at all, amen? So we don't try to build things like self-esteem because Christ said we need to do the very opposite. Instead of thinking so much about ourselves, we must die to ourselves, it says. Let's look at Luke 9, 23, Jesus said this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Christ says to put the self to death. Don't build it up, focus on it, but kill it. We learn that freedom comes through death. When we die to self, then we can actually begin to live for Christ is what we learn. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. When we live for Christ, we stop chasing after acceptance by others because we realize that our purpose here is not to get people's acceptance, but to glorify our sovereign Lord. That's what we're here to do. Amen? 
when Christ is our king, our acceptance comes from heaven instead of humanity. Are we secure in Christ this morning? Have you truly come to a saving faith in Christ Jesus? I'm not asking if we once walked an aisle or once said a sinner's prayer or once got baptized. What I am asking is if you're living for Christ right now, does your life reflect that Christ is your Lord and Savior now? Have you turned to Christ in repentance and belief? If you aren't sure, I would ask you, I would beg you to examine your heart, examine yourself Because how we live our lives reveals what we love, what we care about, and what we truly are worshiping. But I'm going to have to move on because we're going to be here for another couple hours. So let's go on to John 3, verse 19. John 3, verse 19. And it says this, and this is the judgment The light has come into the world. Let's stop there for a second. Let me read it again. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Who or what is the light that this passage is referring to? Well, if we look back at John 1 verse 4, it says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So that passage in John 1 4 was speaking about Jesus And the passage that we're talking about today that's referring to light is also referring to Jesus as well. So we see that God sent his best, his beloved, his son to the world to save us. But we know what the world did. They rejected Christ. And I know I say that so nonchalantly and we've heard it so many times. Yeah, the world rejected Christ. And it doesn't really seem like that big a deal because we've heard so many times. We're sort of numb to it. But think about it. Let's act like we're hearing this for the first time afresh. Because think about this. The Father sent Christ down to rescue humanity, to help us, to serve us. Christ spent most of his days preaching God's word, teaching the Old Testament, showing this people, how he fulfilled the law and fulfilled all the Old Testament. But then Christ also healed those who were sick, who had diseases, who were crippled, who had no hope of getting better. He loved the unlovable. He spent time with the poor. He ministered to the down and out. Think about this. Christ loved like no human has ever loved before. He loved us perfectly. He served us perfectly. He obeyed the Father perfectly. And what was the response of the world? What did we do? The world abused Christ. The world mistreated Christ. The world had disdain for him. The world mocked him. The world beat him. The world spit on him. And the world laughed at him. And finally, to top it all off, the world murdered him. And murdered him in the most horrific way that the world could imagine. This is how the world treated Christ. The light of the world. This is how the world rejected our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The question is, why? 
Why did the world have such hostility, such disdain for Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior? Well, verse 19 tells us. Let's look at it. And it says this. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. The people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And this leads to point number two. God rejects many because they love darkness instead of the light. Point number two says God rejects many because they love the darkness instead of the light. We see that the world is not innocent by any means. They have an agenda. They love the darkness, which is translated, they love their sin. Think about how easy it is to sin, even for believers, for us. I mean, even as a believer, we're prone to still sin. But as believers, we have the Holy Spirit that at least convicts us of our sin. But the unbeliever who does not have the Holy Spirit doesn't have that conviction. They sin. It's as natural to drink water as is natural to sin for the unbeliever. But why is sin so natural? Why do we struggle with it so? Well, Scripture teaches that we all have sinned. We have a sin nature because of Adam and Eve's rebellion in the garden. We start out as children of Adam, which means we are all born sinners. That's what that means. I got a good example of this. I have three children, so I can give some good examples of how we are born sinners. Um, My two-year-old, his name's Job, we call him Joby. He always wakes up first in our house around 6.30 in the morning, and the first thing he wants to do is wake up his older brothers. And I praise God that he has such camaraderie with them, and he loves spending time with them. But it's not a good thing, right? He's not supposed to do that. But he tries every morning anyway. It begins with him talking about Silas and Luke. He calls Silas, Siley, and he calls Luke, Gook. And we tell him that they are still sleeping, son. We have to love them and love mommy and daddy too and let them sleep in. And he begins to just point to their bedroom as we're telling him this, as if he's not hearing us. And we say, no, Joby, let them sleep. Then he waits until we get busy doing something else. And instantly our child transforms into a ninja. Literally. He's like stealthy in his movements i mean he's almost two he can barely walk but he's like hiding behind things sneaking gravitating slowly to the room but we're sort of used to this now so we catch on to his little games and we say no no joby and spank him and after he's done some crying he plays a little more and then he's not gonna sneak anymore he just bolts and runs to their room full full blown just runs as fast as he can Joby wants what he wants. This is what the flesh does. This is how the sinful nature works. My point is that children are little sinners who grow up to be big sinners like you and me. The darkness lives. It indwells. It inhabits all of us. And without turning to Christ, we are fully controlled by the sinful nature. Let's listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4. 18 and 19, as he describes the depth of depravity that controls the unbeliever. 
It says this. They are darkened in their understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So we can't say that it's not fair that God rejects many because we see that they rejected the Son of God themselves. They defy God every moment that they're alive. They don't want anything to do with Christ. But I mentioned that those of us that are Christians still do have a sinful nature as well. But now in Christ we have the Holy Spirit that battles that sinful nature, that flesh that still is inside of us. But I wonder if there are some of us this morning that have been ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. If we have continued to entertain sin in our life. Maybe we've allowed certain sinful behaviors to go on for so long that it seems impossible to stop. They become sort of like little pets that we just cuddle up to and spend time with. That's why they often call them pet sins, which I never understood as a child. But that's why they call it pet sins. Sins that we have grown accustomed to, that we have grown comfortable with. Sins that, truth be known, we sort of had them there for so long that that hatred that we're supposed to have for them has sort of grown a little fun to us. We sort of like having that little guy around. It's maybe sins like laziness, or lust, or worry, or anger, or fear, or unforgiveness. Maybe it's mistreating our spouse, or maybe we aren't training our children to love the Lord, or maybe we aren't spending time with the Lord in prayer and study. God's Word always gives us clarity on what to do. It's really easy, right? It tells us to confess our sin and turn back to Christ and repent for the sins that we continue to commit. That's the grace of God that we can actually repent of a sin that we're so entrapped with and the Holy Spirit starts changing our hearts and then we're not enslaved to it anymore. That's a miracle. That's amazing. Amen? But let's go back to our passage. And we're now in John 3, 20 which continues to give the reality, share the bad news of those who are rejected by God. And it says this, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. This leads to point number three. God rejects many because they hated the light. Point number three says that God rejects many because they hated the light. I wonder if we've noticed more antagonism, more disdain for Christianity in our society today. I wonder if we've noticed it. I think about what's happening with the same-sex controversy and how you are deemed unloving, a bigot, a racist, if you think same-sex relationships are wrong. If you agree with Plain reading of the Bible, which calls practicing homosexuality a clear sin. That's what it says. You're considered intolerant. But what is really crazy about the same-sex 
controversy is that they not only are wanting us to agree with it, but they expect everyone to celebrate it, to love it, to cherish it. And then we have to remember our verses to understand why that is. Verse 19 told us they love the darkness. Verse 20 says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to light lest his work should be exposed. We are seeing God's word being played out in our society before our eyes as we see our society becoming more hostile to the light. That's what it does. That's what all societies do. As we stand for the truth, the light will show the wickedness of our society and the society will continue to become more hostile to the light to Christianity, which means they will be more angry, more frustrated with those of us who call ourselves Christians. They will have that hostility towards you, towards me. I ask you this morning, what will we do if our reputation is destroyed because of our love for Christ? Will we continue to stand for Christ? Or we won't be able to play the the middle ground anymore and act like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't talk about it anymore. You will be called the carpet, and you will have to either support Christ and submit to him or turn from him. There will be this no middle ground stuff with the world, with the church. We already have numerous churches that are folding just the same sex situation we're dealing with. But I wonder if we see that the world loves darkness and hates the light. Do we see that this morning? I mean, we have laws in place that allows for murder. Can we get any more blatantly wicked than murdering innocent babies in the name of choice every day? We talk about the Holocaust, what Hitler did, and our country murders helpless babies daily by the thousands. What is the total number of abortions in our society since Roe versus Wade? I think it's up to 58 million babies that have been slaughtered. Can you imagine all the helpless infants that have been slaughtered right under our noses in our own communities and cities? We can say with confidence that the Lord has been patient with the United States. May God send revival to this land. May God send revival to the church. May God send revival to the pulpits. May God send revivals to our own hearts. So we're not callous to these horrendous things that are going on every day. Cause us to be passionately centered on Christ. Sharing the gospel with humility, love, and boldness. But let's move on to John 3.21. And it says this, But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And at first glance, this almost sounds like good people will come to the light and show that they are doing right before God. But a closer reading, a closer rendering of this passage says that those who come out in the light are already children of God. Let's read it again. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. They come out into the light to show that they are already carrying out the works of God. They are, God's already 
creating those works inside of them, showing that their works have been from God in the first place. Which leads to point number four. God accepts and transforms us with a new identity found in Christ Jesus. Point number four says that God accepts and transforms us with a new identity found in Christ Jesus. Our identity was a sinner. Our identity was wrapped up in being a child of Satan, living for the flesh. But in Christ, our identity has changed. We are now a new creation in Christ. Our new identity is now wrapped up in Christ. We aren't defined by our sinfulness any longer. But now as a child of God, amen? We've transferred from being a child of darkness to a child of light. That is amazing. Are we defined by Christ this morning? Or are we defined by something else? Lecrae, a Christian rapper, which I'm sure most of you know about. I mean, Bill and Andrew, you probably listen to a lot of Christian rap at home. <laughs> okay. But he wrote a song called Identity. He wrote a song called Identity. The chorus says, I'm not the shoes I wear. I'm not the clothes I buy. I'm not the house I live in. I'm not the car I drive. No, I'm not the job I work. You can't define me by nothing on God's green earth. But my identity is found in Christ. It is found in Christ. Do we recognize their identity is found in Christ if we are a believer in Jesus Christ. If we are a child of God, that is now our identity. It's not in our job. It's not in the things that we have. It's not in the family that we live in. It's in Christ. Well, in conclusion, we have seen that the light has come into the world. It has been offered to all. But the question is, have you turned to Christ? Have you made Christ your Lord and Savior? In Christ, there is hope. In Christ, there is freedom. There is life. There is full assurance, acceptance in Christ Jesus. We can be confident in the fellowship with God that we have, not because of our own faithfulness or our own righteousness, but because of Christ's faithfulness and because of Christ's righteousness that is imputed to us. Will we be light in a very dark world? A world that ignores, a world that rebels, a world that defies God. Will we stand for truth even when it means we will be slandered and mistreated? I want to end by asking some questions this morning. I want you just to think about. What will change the world? What will change our culture? What will change our neighbors? What will change our family members? What will change our churches? And ultimately, what will change us? The answer simply is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. May we remember that it is Christ who has the ability to transform hearts and minds. May we carry the gospel throughout Naples, throughout Markle, and to the ends of the earth for the glory of God. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we thank you for your 
sovereignty. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we're living in such times as this, Father, where the light and darkness is clear, where often the darkness is not in the society, but it's in our own lives, and we struggle with it as well. So we thank you for your grace, even in the midst of our own struggles, Father, that you continue to pour on us day by day. May we go and share that same good news to others, that they can find a Savior, that they can find purpose in glorifying the Father and submitting their life to you. Father, we ask that you ignite us with a passion and zeal. Bring revival to this place. Bring revival to me. Help us to love you with all our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.